Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Welcome guys back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed and this is episode 41 and I was lucky enough to sit down and interview a legend angler. He loves his fishing and he knows how to catch big fish Cal True. Now, Cal True is a part of the Big Cod Dreams Australia page. You can follow him there, him and his brother, and some of the big fish that they catch. And we get to talk to him a little bit about his story. And it was a really, really interesting chat because it kind of just, we just talked about a lot of different aspects to targeting big Murray Cod, trophy Murray Cod, uh, including a lot of things like what Cal has learned from fishing, from what has happened over in the United States, chasing largemouth bass and some of the applications and techniques they use over there and then bringing them back and using them here but also using um, ideas and references from things that have happened there to the fish and how they react and how they behave um, especially based on fishing pressure and make opinions or bringing judgments across and applying them to targeting our iconic fish the Murray Cod so this episode is all about chasing that trophy Murray Cod if you're after that trophy fish in your life Cal shares some great tips that will put you on the road to catching those fish. So, a few of the things we touched on. First of all, we talk about how fishing started for Cal. Um, Cal gives his opinion on live scope and both of us talk about live scope for a little bit. It seems to be a topic coming up quite a lot but it's good to get his insight. Cal shares his favorite style of fishing. Um, then we also talk about the story, as I mentioned, behind Big Cod Dreams Australia. Uh, then Cal's tips. Then we jump right into the, the nuts and bolts of this episode where we share... And Cal shares his tips for finding that trophy cod, his go-to big cod lures. Then we have a bit of a chat, as I mentioned, about how the behavior of Murray cod has changed in recent years. Then a little bit about Cal's fishing goals and his most memorable catch. This is a crack of an episode, guys, and I know we are all in lockdown at the minute, so I'm trying to pump out as much good content as we can. Cod season is coming to its close, so I wanted to get one more big cod episode to you guys before it finishes up bit of inspiration for you guys to get out there this weekend uh, or next weekend before it closes and go chase that trophy fish. Especially if you haven't caught one before, these tips will help you. But the other thing is, uh, if you don't have a chance to get out there before the season closes, these tips will help you uh, once we come to cod opening. And just remember, there are a few lakes that are still opened year-round chasing cod in the springtime. That's enough from me, guys. So without further ado, let's jump in and talk with the one, the only, Cal True. Welcome back to the episode, guys. I am joined by Cal True. Now, this is actually Cal's second appearance on the podcast, and you might be going, when was his first one? Um, but this time, it'll be much better, Cal, because we're going to be talking about fishing rather than fish dying, mate. Thanks heaps for joining me on an actual episode this time. <laughs> hey, Reese, no worries, mate. So, yeah, the first time I had you on, uh, I only had you on for about 10 minutes, I reckon, um, and that was all about those fish kills, hey, um, that you kind of saw firsthand before anyone else. 
um, and which was was real devastating to see. But um, I really appreciate you joining me at real short notice uh, for that podcast because we got some good information across to people. But um, having you on for this one, we're going to be talking about you, your journey, fishing, and I'm really excited. So can you just share for people who don't know who you are or what you do, how fishing all started for you back at the start and why you love it so much? Yeah, yeah cool. Um well, so yeah, I'm Cal. Um, I'm pretty much just like most most guys. I think getting around the place is just another another keen sort of fisherman. Uh, fishing, been fishing for a long time, pretty much since I can remember. Um, you know, love it, love it to death. Yeah. And it's really sort of been one of those things that have been a pretty consistent thing through through life, where it's just no matter where I've gone or what I've done, it's it's sort of always been a fishing, or there's been fishing sort of a basis. But you know, Murray Cod's sort of always been at the heart of it, and I keep getting drawn back, I guess, to to the Murray Cod side of things. Yeah. So you're where are you? you're based in Victoria. Yeah. So I'm based in I'm based in Melbourne, um, yep. but originally from from Shepparton. Right. Uh, my brother and my brother uh, Josh as well. Uh, we pretty much fish together most of the time these days, and he's based in Shepparton. So pretty sort of central and lots of amazing sort of fisheries pretty close by for us. And, and yeah. Yeah. So you grew up you grew up in Shepparton. How long have you been in Melbourne for? Uh, so I grew up in Shep and I've been in Melbourne for a bit over 10 years now. So Okay, so uh, quite a while. Quite a while. Yeah, so, quite a while. Jo- Josh moved away as well. Like, so Josh had a period there where he went and lived in Perth for a bit, lived in yeah. Darwin and, and sort of focused on the Barra and then came back and then we've sort of, I guess, done a lot more cod fishing and ramped up the cod fishing ever since. Yeah, right, together. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. you grew up in Shep. How did it all start? Do you have memories of fishing since you were just a, a little tacker and then like what did you start on carp or what, what are your er- earliest memories? Yeah, so I guess like a lot of guys, I guess I got introduced to fishing by um, our family. So uh, our grandfather and my dad and I'm from a pretty sort of strong fishing family. I, I wouldn't say our family's like obsessed with fishing, but uh, everyone in our fishing is, uh, in our family, sorry, is you know, pretty keen on, on fishing. Yeah. Like, again, like most guys, I guess, or as most kids, it, it starts out as, you know, bait. Um, and back then when when we were kids, there was, you know, catching a cod or catching Murray cod was, was really hard. So a lot of the time, you know, you'd be in the river or we were fishing in channels and things a lot. Mm. And it was for, for carp because that was just what was, a, you know, there was an abundance of carp. So you sort of learnt, you know, things like setting the hook, how to bait a hook, how to fight a fish, you know, all those sorts of things. It's good, um, isn't it? With on carp. carp, yeah. Yeah, it's like this fundament, fishing fundamentals, I guess. Yeah, and they're a handy fish to give you that fundamentals, eh? Oh, they, they fight good. They still fight good. They fight uh, a, a better than a hell of a lot of things still today. Yeah, exactly. So for someone, if, for growing up in Shepparton, do you think that was a good area to grow up fishing-wise? Like if someone... Um, say they're new to fishing now, they're a young bloke, they grew, they're in central Victoria. Are there some good waterways in the area to fish and learn oh, to fish yeah. on? Yeah, absolutely. There's tons really. Like if, you, if you're living in Shepparton or any of those sort of surrounding places, there's just so many little creeks, rivers, um, lakes, you know, they, and they've all got Murray Cod in them now. Like when, when we were younger, a lot of them had Murray Cod, but they were really small populations. So, you know, guys would go out, and, and I can remember as I sort of got a little bit older, even guys would go out bait fishing and, you know, wouldn't get a bite or, you know, to catch a cod was a big deal. You mm. know, where now, like, literally most of the river systems, the creek systems are now loaded with cod. You know, guys are going out and catching, you know, five, ten fish, you know, most sessions, certainly in the warmer months. Um, so, yeah, it's a really good population around now and, 
Yeah, uh, right. There's, there's probably there's probably not a bad place in you know northern Victoria uh, to live, really, as far as access to fishable water. To good water, yeah, yeah. What what's some of the what are some of the major rivers and waterways in the area? What runs through Shepparton? So Shepparton, there's the Broken River, which is sort of a really small sort of creek, not really boatable um, for yep. most of it. It's sort of like a walking. You know, you'd go and walk it. Uh, there's the Goulburn River, which runs um, sort of right up to the Weir. And then you've got, you know, Lake Mulwala, which is only about an hour away. Yep. You've got the Murray River, which is about only about an hour away. Uh, you've got Lake Yildon, which is only about an hour and a half. So, you know, you've got a, quite spot. a few different options, you know, pretty close by. Yeah, it's a really good spot. So do you remember, can you remember your first cod on the lure? Uh, first cod on the lure? Or yeah, it doesn't no, really I do. stand I, out, you do? No, yeah. it, it does because... I, I sort of was in bait, fished bait for a long time growing up, and because that was just what our family did, I guess. And and I remember the first time on on lure, especially on cast lure, was the one that stood stood out. And we were fishing in the Murray River, yeah. And it was like sort of middle of the day, summer, and I was sort of getting a bit over bait fishing. And we had a um, a Goulburn lures codger, yeah. And they still sell them today, uh, and they were made in Shepparton at the time, and had one of them and. Uh, tied it on, and I think it was about two or three casts into this sort of bit of shadow and caught a fish about 45 or 50 centimetres long or something like that. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I was like, yes. this is just the best, you know. It's like, especially as a kid that, you know, you've got bundles of energy is, you know, sitting still. I, I still find sitting still pretty hard. So um, back then, being able to catch one on a lure, a cast lure, was was huge. Yeah. Um, and then How from there, you? oh, probably 12, I yeah, think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good age. Um, and then from there, we sort of transitioned and started to do a lot of trolling. Um, with And we, we fished with my grandpa a lot um, growing up. Yep. So, yeah, do, did a lot of trolling. And, you know, through all different systems, so the Goulburn River, um, the Ovens River, the Murray, all those sort of places, and started to catch fish, you know, consistently then on lures. But, you know, you cover so much ground and so much water when you're trolling is that you sort of start to look at all the little pockets and all the the snags and the trees and everything as you're going past and you think Mm. if i'm catching fish out here where it's you know where it's deep and there's you know there's there's structure definitely but it's not you know right in their home it's like how many more fish could i be catching if i'm throwing my lure into and you remember having that thought as a kid yeah yeah 100 percent. and back then we had we used to fish out of this little like um duck punt is what what it was called i guess which was originally for duck shooting and then um we converted it into our our little fishing boat we had no electric motor nothing like that yeah a little tent little 10 horse um mariner on the back and we used to like basically sit it in like forwards and sort of stand up and like drive it with our foot and then cast at the same time and it was all hard bodies back then so this was like spinnerbaits weren't even really a thing so spinnerbaits at around that time i think there was one made by like predator lures i think it was they made a hard body as well but it was sort of a bit bit janky it didn't really work real good and then um so yeah we just threw hard bodies a lot so stump jumpers codgers that was sort of our main deal and then from there we i started working in a tackle store and i got a little bit older so yep. about 15 and then by that time you know spinnerbait started to come onto the market and i remember yep. like bassman bassman was sort of the deal back then and Still is, to be frank, but um, that was sort of what we started using all the way back then. And, like, how well they worked 
at the start was just unbelievable. Like fish were like climbing over over limbs and things to grab yeah. them, which sounds like rubbish, I know. But it was just crazy. Like we were getting fish to do things that they never did on, on you know, crankbait. Yeah. Um, from there, I remember Minkota brought out the Riptide, um, which was the white bow mount electric motor. It was a bow so mount, we, was it? Yeah. Yeah, bought one of them things and... Like back then, we were fishing the Goulburn River and things, and you know we'd go past guys who were trolling with their outboard, or they'd be bait fishing. And like the first question was always like, "What the hell is that thing on the front of your boat? <laughs> on the front of your boat?" And <laughs> and it funny. was just it was just amazing, and and just sort of going from you know that evolution, it was just it was like game changer. Yeah, you know, being able to drive with your foot, electric motor, amazing. So how old? Yeah, so there's so many questions. It's a good story. So what age were you? Rec- do you reckon you were when you got the lecky on the front? Oh, I think about fifteen. I think. Okay, so that that and what year? What year are we taught? What? Well, I'm, I'm 31 now, so um, you know, only 16 years ago. So yeah, um, so not all. 2004. So we're looking at like 2004, 2005, and now is it hard for you to believe? Like obviously back then you would never even thought about it, but is it hard to believe now that 15 years later we have something like LiveScope, like the, the technology to go from an electric motor to now what we've got? It's just insane, hey? Yeah, it, like in on one hand it is, I think, but on the other hand, I'm not really that surprised because, you know, whilst when I was walk, working to the tackle store and I worked there for about um, five years, I think, is it, so I sort of saw around that time I saw the introduction of like color sounders. So that was like the first... Yep. Big deal. Then I remember side scan coming in, and that was yep. like people were like losing their mind on that. Mm. So it was sort of even at that point, we're like, "Geez, I wonder what's going to be the case in you know five years time." And yeah, that that sort of hasn't really changed. Like we're sort of still on that front now. Like we're you know with live scope and things now, we're like you know this is incredible, and it's obviously probably been the biggest game changer that's come around in cod fishing in the last you know, three to six months, uh, no, probably longer than that, actually. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's, it's the huge, biggest right? thing in 20 years, yeah. Yeah, so it's probably the biggest thing since the the introduction of electric motors, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially on big fish, you know, like we've, so I don't have live scope, but we don't have live scope at this point. But how we were introduced to it is that we were introduced to it when um, our friend Oliver from, from um, America brought it over. Yeah. And that's how much he thought of it, is he brought the whole thing from the states in his suitcase and we thought okay that's that's pretty serious so hooked it all up and everything we sort of did a bit of a dodgy setup and we set it up on our electric motor which has proved out to be to be the wrong thing by what the other guys have done but look you know we saw fish on it we took it up to the you know northern territory and things as well um for barra and and on the reef not not deep reef but like 30 to 40 feet and it was just incredible seeing literally schools of fish swim around, swim to your plastic and hook up live. It was just, mm. yeah, amazing. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. And it's just funny how you talk about, you know, getting this electric motor and then I can remember myself getting my first electric motor and how much of a game changer it was. And now you got something like LiveScope. And then do, do we now think about what's like happening in five years' time from now? Like, can you see, I cannot fathom anything more advanced than that, but it'll happen, won't it? it, it yeah. It will happen. I, I, yeah, I think like we've I've sort of been thinking about it a little bit, and I think what will be the next evolution is I think Humminbird or somebody will do a, basically a three sixty version of live, where instead of having to hold a little pole and and spin it around like a spotlight, you'll get three hundred and sixty degree live view of your boat. That's ridiculous. Nonstop. I, I think that's what'll happen eventually. It's um, crazy. You, 
Yeah, that so it'll be interesting, and you know, um, we've been talking about it amongst sort of, um, I guess our crew and what we think of live scope, and one hundred percent, it's one of those things that I think you, you just sort of need to either look at getting or, or to get it. But it'll be interesting to see what it does to fishing, as yeah. far as you know. So like, I was going to ask you. Just tell me yeah. what you think. What do you think of it? Because I had a heap of messages from people after one with the skiers boys and go, do you think it takes away the element of what fishing is and why we actually do it? Because I talk to people and they spend the whole session looking at a screen now and yeah, it'll help you catch more fish. And is the whole goal to do anything just to catch a fish or does it actually take away that whole unknown and, and you know, just working in the element of being out in nature? What, what do you reckon? Like, what's your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I think that it's probably easy to say, to sit here and say, oh, you know, it'll take away from fishing and it'll take away the mystery of it and, you know, whatever. But I guarantee you, you know, if you're fishing a bank and you catch nothing and then some guys come in behind you with a live scope and catch two-meter fish behind you with it, mm. you'll you'll be going to change your mind pretty quick, I mm. think. So um, I think it's, the other thing too is that if you let – it depends on how you use it with your fishing or integrate it with your fishing. I think if you're going to take the approach, well, all I'm going to do is cast to fish on the screen, then, you know, that's uh, that's probably going to change a lot of things about how you yeah, fish. Yeah, But whether you just sort of integrate it and, and sort of go, okay, I'm going to fish this area um, and, and sort of just scan around as I do it, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting one, but um, yeah. I'm guessing if the boys who have got it if they're at a point now where they're just going and, and sort of scanning around and fishing active fish, there's a reason they're doing that. They're not doing it because it's it's uh, less fun. I'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I guess the end goal is to hook up the big fish and, and I guess you're still getting that experience. And especially, like, this one thing we've never had with cod is being out of sight, fish them and see them eat a lure. Like, you can, but very rare, like a summer cat. Yeah. Like, you might have had two or three in your whole life that's done that. But now it's kind of like doing that, sort of, with a different element. Like, you can yeah. spot them, cast them, see how they react, which, like the skiers boys said, is they've learned so much from. So, yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. And that, that's it's good to get your input on that. Um, so... I love the the whole talk about how you grew up and I guess we're all very similar. Not all, but a lot of us are very similar with how it all just advanced from there. And then yeah. once you grew up, you and your brother, you had this evolution of you just continued to fish. Like, do you fish quite often? Is it like a, is it something you do every couple of weekends? Um, something that's a huge passion of yours? Yeah, so like... Um I guess it's it's sort of ebbed and flowed a little bit over the years. Where yeah, um, back back when I've lived in Shepparton, I'd try and fish most weekends. I'd fish after work in summer and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm certainly not an every weekend fisherman. Now I like you know once a month, twice a month is probably sort of if I'm if I'm lucky uh, now. Yeah. And and I sort of try and focus it more in the colder months. Josh is a bit different. Josh Josh sort of puts in a lot more miles than I do. Josh is sort of most weekends yeah. uh, either fishing or hunting or doing something, but um, a little bit different for me. Um, and being in Melbourne now, your go-to spots are still the same? You still do the, the Ks and fish a lot of places or is Eildon yeah, like your yeah. main go-to place? No, we mix it up, really. We mix it up. Like we sort of always said from from the start, like just between us was that, you know, if, if it stops being enjoyable, we, we go and change. So, you mm. know, sometimes we'll be like, okay, let's, we want to go and throw, you know, the monster, monster baits in, um, in impoundments. And then after a while, <clears throat> usually we get a bit sick of it or we get a bit sick of the same sort of 
you know, scenery and we thought, okay, let's go and change it up and let's go and fish a river or let's go and walk some creeks or let's go and fish a different type of lake or do something different. I'm yep. sort of not a, I'm, I'm not going to beat the, you know, the bank or beat the, the same section of, of one lake over and over and over again just to catch fish. It, it, it sort of, as soon as we stop enjoying it, we, we sort of just change our our uh, I guess our plan regardless of you know what the fishing is doing yeah I totally agree with that that's what I think is good about the seasons is it forces you to change even though you it doesn't force you but it's kind of that period where you're getting getting to the end of winter you're like oh man I'm sick of this like can't wait for spring and the yellows to start (laughs) doing that because you just got around to that time of year and then when summer's coming to an end you're like yeah I'm keen for the winter like seasons just seem to fit in real nicely with fishing and give us so many different kind of opportunities throughout the whole year which is which is good what would be your favorite technique and style do you have a do you have a go like I know you've just said you you do it the whole lot but do you have a favorite if if you could pick um, what, like is there a favorite or not really yeah there, there, there probably is that like I think it's really hard like you know putting the size of the fish aside I think it's really hard to 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 uh, get away from you know fishing sort of clearish water I'm not saying like super clear but fishing really tight cover uh, in clearish water is, is something in a river that gets, uh, usually in a river or a creek um, is yep. pretty addictive you know like sort of pitching a, a spinnerbait or, or something like that up into really tight willows or really tight in the cover and you know and, and sort of try and rip fish out it's uh, good fun. Is, is, a, is usually a good way of fishing um, the river we like to you know we're pretty big fans of fishing the river because the current is usually forcing you to fish new water all the time yeah where in a lake you, you can sort of get a bit you get a bit stuck in a bit of a rut you know you get hit here and then you want to sort of go back to that same bank or you know you've caught them in this bay or mm-hmm. or along this edge and the river sort of forces you to go and fish that new water all the time and we and we tend to like when we go and fish a, a river whether it's the Murray or the Goulburn or the Murrumbidgee or whatever it is it doesn't really matter we try and sort of change our launch spot Yep. Uh, a lot. And, and if we can, if there's a couple of us doing it, we try and sort of do uh, like a, a drift through. So like drop the cars at one end, drift the whole way through and sort of just change that up and just do different sections. Because the thing I think a lot of people don't sort of probably appreciate uh, is that now like there is monster cod everywhere. Yeah. Like they're, they're not just in Blaring or they're not just in Eildon or they're not just in Mawala. They are literally in every creek system, every river, like they're everywhere. You, like there's no, you know, some sections, are, I guess, look nicer and some rivers and things look nicer or fish nicer at certain times of the year. But really, they're everywhere. And I think just sort of exploring different sections is, is much more fun than thinking that they're only, they only live in, you know, like one kilometre section of, of river or one part of the lake. a short break in the episode with Cal uh, just to talk about one of our sponsors for this episode which is Ignite Lures Australia. Now Ignite Lures, if you follow us a bit you will know we use their big 220mm Cod Fury for targeting big codding dams. Now I wanted to mention to you guys that they have now released a new model. Now this is a smaller model and it has a wide variety of applications. It's the 160mm Fury. So it's 160mm, it's 60mm shorter than the big one but it is a much smaller profile 
lure. It weighs 28 grams and it has its custom line-through design, which is unlike many of the lures made for Australian fish. If you've got a soft plastic uh, for Australian fish, most of the time you have to whack a jig head in it. Well, this one comes with an internal lead weight, which you can choose to put in or not, and it also comes with a BKK treble hook in a size one. And you can rig it as a line through, so you've got no jig head, you've got no big lump of lead hanging out the front of your lure, and it is extremely natural. And it sinks really, really lifelike. It doesn't plummet with its nose down like nearly all soft plastics rigged with a jig head do. So you can rig it line through, you've got the hook underneath the lure on the belly, has a really good hookup rate, and it also, what happens is when a fish hooks up, the lure slides up the line. Line, so that way they can't throw the lure. So this lure is an incredible designed lure and it works in both fresh and saltwater conditions. Now I know this is mainly a freshwater fishing podcast and they were designed with Murray Cod in mind, uh, also bigger golden perch. They're good for casting in river systems uh, and also in dams for those smaller cod. But they have a great application for barramundi, flathead, big Jewfish. So these lures are easy to fish with, a really good profile and size and can be used in a wide variety of situations. You can also, if you really want to, you can rig them with a jig head. You can put a jig jig head on the front and fish them like that. But the way they're designed is they have their own head. They've got really good lifelike eyes and as the package, they've got fins and everything, they look extremely lifelike rigged as line through but you can put a jig head on them and for fishing in river systems, in heavy timber, you can rig them weak. That is a really, really deadly way to fish them. So that is the Ignite Fury 160mm and it is available now on the Social Fishing Store. So it's store.socialfishing.com.au. Go check them out now. They've got new colors that aren't in the 220mm. In the 160mm, they are available now. So you can check them out at store.socialfishing.com.au. Now let's get back to the episode with Cal. Yeah, I totally agree with you. My, my go-to style is floating the bidgie in our little rubber inflatable boats when it's nice yeah. and low and you're floating over stone bars and you get stuck and you got to push it through <laughs> and you got to explore and, and the and the current pushes, you know, fish into certain pockets and you're just getting hammered like in, yeah. right in close to structure. It's, it's my go-to, especially when it's clear. Like if you can see a fish, like the bidgie has it and the upper murray's got some just some unreal water like it's it's my go-to and I, and the fish so, and the fish always come out really clean and, yeah. and they're usually really dark and they're for some reason as well clarity yeah tends to be a massive factor with the conditioning of fish I, i'm guessing you know they're much more to sort of visual or sight feeders than what a lot of people think or maybe yeah than what we think um, because there tends to be this sort of massive correlation. You go anywhere where the river or the lake or whatever is either clean or it's run clean for the first time in a while, all of a sudden the fish are fat. You go and fish dams and things that are either murky or dirty or have been dirty for a while, the condition just drops away on the fish. Mm, That's interesting you say that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. So that's a, yeah, but but then again, you would think that, um, sometimes it would be the other way around because you think they would and smell their food and you know feed when water runs in and it gets dirty. But you are right; they seem to be really, really thick set in the clearer waters. Yeah, and like this is only a guess, you know. Like, I, yeah, you know, like I guess most things um, with with fishing is that it's really just I guess observation and yep. sort of you know drawing conclusions that sometimes are right and sometimes are wrong. But uh, it just seems to be you know one of those common factors. But um, yeah, they're definitely. Uh, pretty fish out of the clear water 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love them. I love them, mate. Can you tell us for for people who sort do, who do know you um, and and your crew? Can you explain to us and tell us the story behind Big Bass Dreams, uh, how it all started and how it got to where it is now? Because I've seen quite a lot of your content, and I imagine you've been pr- producing and releasing a lot of content more so in the last twelve months, eighteen months maybe. Can you just t- t- tell us the whole story behind it all? Yeah, sure. Um... I guess like I've sort of been fascinated with largemouth bass fishing for pretty much forever. You know, I remember watching the, the Bassmaster Classic and things like that on, on television when I was younger, and and you know just now with YouTube and things, there's just so much access, and I've just sort of always been obsessed with with that. And and I've really felt ever since working in the tackle store when you know spinnerbaits first came around that. I remember guys saying, oh, you know, here's a spinnerbait, but these have been out in the US for like 15 years. Mm. And same with electric motors, same with all these things. Swim baits, most things have been in the States and have been around for so long is that a lot of people back then, or it was, it was sort of seemed anyway, that people felt that, oh, you know, it works on largemouth bass, but it won't work on our fish or it's different for our fish. But the more sort of looking and reading and things I guess I've done is I realized that, there's a lot of similarities between their fish and our fish, but I guess coming back to where that fits in with you know Big Bass Dreams Australia is that I sort of lucky enough to to go over fishing a couple of times um, and catch bass, and I saw Oliver's stuff. Um, Oliver who Oliver Nye from who's got Big Bass Dreams or created Big Bass Dreams, which is a US sort of brand, and it sort of fit in a little bit more I guess with um, I guess what I liked. It was sort of like you know, more sort of hip hop, more sort of street, I guess. Yeah. Um, and more sort of a young person's um, vibe on fishing and not just not just sort of like the old school Bill Dance um, yeah. stuff, which I, st- which I still love, by the way. Um, and got chatting with him, went over there and went fishing with him in, in Southern California. Yep. Uh, and did a couple of days over there. And just like what I learned, I guess, about swim, bait, swim baiting and how to relate it, I guess, back to Australian fish or, or Murray Cod was just it just sort of blew my mind and what it sort of opened up to be and I was sort of telling him about our fish and what we do and he's friends with Carl um, Jockamson as well yeah and he'd heard a little bit about Murray Cod and whatnot and he got sort of super fascinated with it and he's like well you know there seems to be a lot of tie over here why don't why don't you think about doing Big Bash Dreams style but in Australia yeah and I thought like, yeah okay well why, you know why not because you know, big cod dreams was basically, or you know, big any fish dreams really is sort of what it's all about. Because I think, as any of us can probably relate, regardless of you know if you're fishing for giant flathead, giant GTs, bass, Murray cod, whatever, is that you you get to a point of like almost like mm, dreaming about it or hallucinating yep. fascination about it, I guess. About that where big fish you just, too. You're just obsessing about it, right? And then you're just sort of dreaming about that time where it's like, I wonder when I'm going to get the, the really big one or the monster mm-hmm. one. So, um, so I guess yeah, we started, we started the, the social media stuff, I guess. And that's really all it, all it was. And we just did some t-shirts and some hoodies and things. Oliver came over from the States and we took him, uh, out for, he's been over twice actually now and took him fishing, uh, lucky enough. He was lucky enough and we were lucky enough to get him, uh, a meter 21, 
um, Murray Cod, which blew his mind yes. uh, to come out of the river. Um, the videos, the videos up on on YouTube, and his whole trip is up on YouTube for, for anyone that wants to watch us carry on like idiots and and giggle like little kids when we get uh, a couple of these fish in the boat. Um, and that's really just gone from there. It's, it's you know, it's not designed to be anything super serious. It's not designed to be about us. It's really designed to be about. You know the Murray Cod, I guess, community and and all the anglers out there who just want to try and catch a big fish or you know the biggest fish yep. that they can sort of dream of, and that's that's really all it is. It's 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 yeah, it's pretty simple, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good, and, and I've been following it uh, since I reckon you started putting up those first few episodes. And I was going to ask you how many times he been over because you must have done when he come over. Did, did he come over for a fair period of time, and you guys did a bunch of trips all back to back? to put together yes. those films, those yes. short so what videos? Yes, what he did is he came over for uh, two weeks in the first stint. Yeah. And we just, Josh and I sort of got together and went, well, okay, well, let's try and plan it out from the moment he lands to like maximize it. So we can cover as many different sort of waterways and systems and things as we could. Um, so picked him up from the airport like the first morning and we were at the first spot by that afternoon and then it just sort of went non-stop from there we didn't really have a, a, a day off i guess if yep. you call it that um and sort of jumping around and stuff it was it was a fair bit of work and logistics and um certainly for josh josh was josh organized all the food and stuff too so yeah. he had the he had the short end of the stick um but yeah it was good but it was it was it was good for a few reasons it was good because the fishing I guess when you watch the videos, it might seem like the fishing was easy because there was, I think we caught uh, four meter fish, I think, for the for the week and see some others in the 90s and 80s and things. But it really was the opposite. It was sort of like one bite a day, two bites a day, and we were just lucky enough to convert, you know, most yeah. of them. Um, but it was good too is that we, we sort of, we got lucky too, again, as we caught fish in, in every location. So we caught some in Eildon, we caught some in Mawala, we caught some in, in the Murray, um, and then we caught some in, in the Upper Murray as well. But it, And I guess really that was what we were sort of trying to do is to, to show him different waterways, but also to try and show for his, his viewers, because he shot it all and edited it all, that it doesn't matter about the spot. The spot's sort of irrelevant, yeah. I, I guess, is that, you know, like I was saying before, is that it's really just about, you know, going somewhere where you like to fish, somewhere that's either accessible or, or, or close to you, ideally. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's big fish in, in all of them. Not yeah, so much you... the Upper Murray, not so much the Upper Murray now because the, the bushfires killed uh, a Massive lot of them. Massive amount of them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, but that, that's a good that's a good message too. It's that you don't have to do 1,000 Ks and, you know, go from Melbourne to, to Copeton just to catch a a nice fish like a decent fish like you can catch them close to home oh, absolutely and i think you know like that's that's a big uh like one of the common questions we get you know from guys is sort of saying oh you know i haven't done much cod fishing or i'm going doing my first cod trip i'm super pumped you know what do you think or how how should i go about getting my first you know meet a fish and a lot of guys plan you know big trips to like copeton or to blaring or to Eildon or wherever and, and that's that's awesome like that's great especially when you know time's limited and you know you get a bit of annual leave or a bit of time off work to yeah. go those trips are trips are awesome but i think really if you're serious about trying to catch you know that first monster fish you know you don't really need to go far you know if you live in you pick whatever town you live in and and you if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to know roughly where big fish are close to you. 
Yeah. And I, you know, it's a bit of a trap, I think, to go on social media and to see like, you know, yes. all these fish coming out of whatever lake it is or whatever river it is and think, oh, it must be easy. I'll go there and I'll just catch them. Yeah. That never works. That literally never, ever works. I don't even know anyone that goes to a dam or a lake and who's, who doesn't know it or doesn't fish it and then just catches them randomly. They, yeah. They're just not that easy. No. Um, so I think you're so much better off trying to find somewhere close to home and, you know, putting the time in because... None of them, none of it's easy, but every lake, every river system, everything's sort of a little bit nuanced. So, yeah, you know, taking the time to learn it is is uh, is it's more beneficial. Because, yeah, yeah, and and you'll feel like I guarantee it. You'll feel like you earned it a hell of a lot more than than uh, you know someone saying, "Oh, they're going at X Y Z," and then yes, going there and catching one. You know, well, I was going to tell you, I was going to say, a mate of mine, Mitchy, he's he's had a bit of a rough run, the poor kid. Um, but he um, he's fished Blam with me for the past two seasons and still has not stuck a big fish. And yeah. they were firing the other day at Burrenjack and we did a couple of trips to Burrenjack and his mate, who has only done his second, two of his mates did two dam trips and both got me to fish out of Burrenjack on their second <laughs> dam trip. And we're yeah. like, come to Burrenjack. He's like, no, I need to catch one out of Blaring. So it's just to him, it would feel... I like that. Yeah, he's like, no, that's just wrong. I've got to get... Because he's dropped probably four, like, meter 20 plus fish in blaring. Oh. Yeah, I know, he's a poor bloke. I've never seen someone have such a bad run. But to him, it is it's it's it is about catching a big fish. But to him, it's about he, he's got to crack it out of there first because it'll feel right. It just yeah, won't feel good. right going the wrong the, a different spot. But that's one thing I want to talk to you about is... It, people have this goal of landing this meter fish, right? This this big fish. And I know this is something you want to talk about too. So we could go on for quite a lot. You've already just started touching on it now of how to go about it. So a question, go for your life on and on explaining this and, and how people would go about looking for that first meter fish and how they would crack it. But first question I want to ask you based on what you just said is, do you think it's more beneficial, and I think I know the answer, to fish one big trip, like should you go, right, I'm going to do a big trip and you do a big trip like once every two months or are you better off doing these shorter trips closer to home but more regularly so that you learn the area, you learn the waterway? Um, which one do you reckon to give you? I know one will work and one will, the other will work <laughs> at times but yeah. are you saying in what you said before that you're better off doing the trips closer to home more regularly than doing one big trip? Well, look, I'm never, I'd never turn down a big trip I'd take I'd say take all the trips if you could take yeah. a day trip an overnight trip a, a five week trip you do them all yeah but I, I think you know realistically is that most of us you know you can't put in week long two week long trips you know every month for you know six months of the year or whatever it is so I, I think probably what you're better to do is try and combine your long trips and your short trips into the same places or into the same place especially when you're trying to learn a lake um, I, I can remember like growing up, a really good mate of mine who, I'm still, who I still um, fish with today, he used to fish Mulwala every single Wednesday and he did it for about four or five years straight. And that was not including weekends and Say things. that again. He what? He, he fished every Wednesday on Lake Mulwala because that was his day off. He'd have, the, um, he'd have like an RDO or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And he fished every single Wednesday at Lake Mulwala for about three to four years straight. Regardless of what it was doing. No. You're joking. And like that, it just takes it to another level of how like you, you learn lakes. And, and Mulwala specifically is not an easy lake. It's sort of, it's, 
it's there's so much to learn there. But every lake's the same. Is that there's so many little things to to learn, and that's really the way to do it. And this was before you know there was no chartered waters mapping and no, you know, I guess there was side scan, but yeah, you basically had to learn it all yourself and keep it in your in your memory bank. Yeah, and did and and he he produced results. Yeah, yeah, he did. Like, um, I guess you know, going back to like the big fish thing, is that when when I was younger or, or when I was you know what fifteen years ago, whatever it is now, is that I remember being in the tackle store and you know, guys would it went from being like a Murray cod, a meter Murray cod was you tried to catch one in your life. Yes, you know, if you I if you're a, a pretty avid yep. fisherman, you just wanted to get one. Like that was proper fish of a lifetime yeah it then slowly started to get better or guys started to work it out or whatever you want to call it and then it would go that the the guys who were, were good or the guys who would fish a lot would catch they'd go for one a season yes and then from there or i think from to now is that now you, you know you got the guys like the skeezy boys and uh you know a heap of the guys on social media is that you know they're aiming for them or they're catching them most sessions now which is <laughs> crazy which is it's really it's it's awesome for the fishery because I think still to, to now is the fisheries all over the place just get better and better and better every single year. And I think Eildon, there's obviously a lot of talk about Eildon at the moment, but there's a ton of fish in Eildon between 70 and 90, yes. probably from stockings or if they, they line up with stocking periods. And that along with you know all these other dams out there, but there's just going to be so many meter plus fish in the next, you know, five to ten years. So if someone for starting who's starting out now, like they've got a pretty sort of golden decade, or hopefully it keeps getting just better. Yeah, and better hopefully and better it keeps getting better, you know? like you said. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. in the US, which is interesting, like talking with Oliver and a few of the, the bass guys, is that it's the opposite over there. You know, their golden days are done. Really? Like, How come? Fishery management is, is a big one. Is that um, trout stockings and things for, for their fish or for the bass? Is, is massive because for them weight is everything you know they, they don't care if a fish is you know 22 inches long or 25 inches long if it only if it's skinny and only weighs seven pounds that are either a short one that weighed you know 12 or 13 yeah. but they don't get fat unless they're eating an abundance of food and for a southern california it's typically trout right or some sort of bait fish and if if when they stop that and a lot of it's stocked as soon as they stop that the fish goes skinny and then they just seem to decline like you know to catch a fish you know a double digit fish out of southern california now is not easy like and you're saying back in the day hard. it was it was like back in the day it, it, was. it was still not e- it's still not easy but like these guys are saying like they could go out and catch you know multiples a season when now it's like and these guys seem. go every day you know like yeah. their obsession with fishing like makes us look like Weekend Warriors, like it's, yeah, it's insane how obsessed they are over there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts. So you're saying it's going backwards, but yeah, here the cod stuff's definitely going forwards, 100%. But 100%. Do, do you reckon it's a mixture of stockings? Because when it comes to lakes, there's no real water management or anything. It's just stockings. That's all that goes into the lakes because the lakes are, aren't treated amazingly if you're looking at it from the fish's perspective. But then again, lakes were never around. So I, I imagine they don't really care how they handle the lakes in terms of water levels because it's all for irrigation. But it doesn't really affect the fish too much. Like they they go down with it, they go up with it. They can't really breed a whole heap. They go up the river anyway to breed. So it's yeah. more so just the stockings. So they're putting fish into the lakes. There's an abundance of food in Australian lakes for cod, um, especially with carp, but there'd be other bait if the carp weren't there. So there's abundance of food, there's stocking. But do you think it's the stocking that's helping 
mixed with the fact that we're learning more about the fish. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Uh, and, and as well as the other thing is, is that I, from what I see anyway, maybe I'm a little bit off, but guys aren't keeping them anymore. Like I know you can't keep them, of course, over 75, but you know, again, going back to the past when it was, you know, you catch one a season and you're a hero where guys that you'd see guys catch a meat of fish and they'd keep it. Yeah, that's know? true. Going in back 10 now. years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. 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 When well, now it's obviously you can't keep them, which I think was probably the greatest thing they ever did was bring in a slot limit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think it wouldn't matter now. I think you could take the slot limit off and guys wouldn't keep them. I, yeah, I think no. it's really The mentality's changed 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So if someone's going out for, say someone's can catch cod, right? And this is mm. generic for river or dam or if whatever you think, you, 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 you let me know based on the, the situation because a river is very different to a dam. Someone's getting those fish, like the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, you know, they're, they're getting good fish, but they can't just crack that meat of fish. What What's something that you did or you learned or that you know that's not just, you know, the generic keep cast and put in 100 hours kind of, you know, yeah. lesson? Is there anything that's different about the big fish uh, rather than just the grind? What's something that you you could share with people about cracking that first big fish? Yeah, sure. Like I, I, I think, you know, again, going through like what we did and, and when we grew up is that like we were throwing like, you know, little spinner baits. You know, things like Jackal TN60s, 1070s, Doozers, things like that. A Doozer was a Jackal Doozer was like a big lure. Massive. What felt back like in a the big day. lure back then, right? <laughs> um, and we were catching, you know, you catch 50s, 60s, 70s. I think if you're now, if you're catching fish in the 80s to 90s, you're doing all the right stuff. Okay. Because yep. they're all mixed in, I think. Um, but. You know, and this is certainly not not something that we worked out, and and most of the things that we do today, we did not work out. It's been stuff that we've learned, or you know, read, or listened, or taken on from other people because there's just so many guys out there that have caught. Firstly, a have caught way more big fish than us, fish way more than us, and three no more than us. So it's like, well, why try and be heroes or claim like we know things that yeah you know, we we don't. We just you know learn from from these guys. And I still remember when I was probably sixteen or seventeen, meeting Rod McKenzie in in. Um, in the tackle store for one of the nights we had. Yeah. And I used to read all his stuff in freshwater fishing and he was sort of like, it was like, how is this guy catching so many big fish? Like, it's just insane. It's like, you know, these guys who are like gun fishermen are catching, you know, one a season. How is this guy catching like what seemed like unlimited amounts of big fish? Yeah. And I remember talking to him about it and he's like, the first thing you got to do is like, see all that part of the wall, the fishing wall. And like at that time, the fishing wall was basically filled with like lures that were like 90 mil or smaller. Yeah. He's like pretty much scrap all that. And he's like, see all this end, and which is all like, you know, big AC invaders, uh, JD lures, like these huge, big crankbaits or what seemed huge at the time. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's what you got to do. He's like, firstly, you got to throw a big lure. Second thing is like, you got to slug it out in winter. That was the two. That was like the the grounding, I guess, principles. Because we we still fished in winter and things, but we, I guess, did out what we do in summer in winter, and yes. it was pretty disappointing, right? It's like because the the small fish go inactive. We knew they went inactive, but we didn't know the big ones went active. We we just thought that all fish went inactive. Yes. Um, so I guess the going back to your question, the the it was probably no surprise to to a lot of people, but you know, big lures or, or lures that are, you know, 100 mil long or greater, whether it's a crankbait, a big spinnerbait with a big trailer on it, a swim bait, you know, whatever it is, you know, throw it and, and match it to the conditions or a big top water lure. But I think 
the the biggest thing and and it's pretty consistent across rivers creeks lakes is that a big top water lure you know 100 plus mil long whether it's a wake bait or, or a paddle style they all have their day but that's probably brought more big fish undone i think in the last probably five years than than probably other, a lot of other lures anyway are you saying for you um, or just all around no i think just for oh, for us too but i think just from general observations and just sort of our mates and things and i think the second thing it does is that it one it's easy to fish you know yeah. like a surface lure is easy to fish you know you throw yeah, you a can't surface get it lure wrong. in a river no you can, it's pretty hard to get a surface lure snagged you know unless you really screw it up yeah but i think as well what it does is that if you get a, a buff or you know a hit is that you know if that fish was a big fish or not mm-hmm. sometimes on a crankbait or something you can get a hit and you know unless you've caught a few you sort of don't really know unless they try and rip it out of your hands yeah so you know i think surface lures is a massive one against big lures again that's no that's no uh groundbreaking revelation and then the other thing too which i think is probably the other really really big one is that when you're out fishing on a trip uh, you've got you've got to try and commit to being on the water before dark uh, before light in the morning and you've got to be and got to commit to get off after dark at the very least yeah you know some some dams and things are, are pretty renowned i guess at being nighttime fisheries that's a whole different um segment and i know you've already covered that plenty of times on your podcast uh, with some of the other guys like like clint and yeah um, yourself but i think for other, a lot of other places around the country that that dawn and dusk bite window is huge and so many times that like you know we'll be out fishing whether it's on the river at the murray or wherever and there's camps everywhere and by the time we think it's the surface bites about done guys are starting to roll out of bed and i'm not saying they're all hardcore fishermen but i think you know a lot of people it, it's hard to sort of commit to that yeah um and there it's has just been one. yeah and there's just been so many trips like I, I look back now where you know we've done trips two three four days long and you get one bite and it's like at five o'clock or four thirty in the morning on the last morning four. yeah, yeah on the last morning or wherever it was and that was the only bite you got or you know we've, we've done it a heap of times where it's like you know, you go and you fish all day, you catch nothing, and you think, I'm going to just hit this one last bay or do this one last little stretch. I'm going to just fish down to this this snag. And it's just after dark and then crunch, and that's that's the fish, and you you forget about the other three days of zero pretty yes. quick. So it's it's just that time on the water. And then I think another little little thing is that you sort of want to commit to you, what you think is your best spot if you're on a lake or if you're on a river and try and time it so you're there in those peak windows. Like Yeah, that's those, huge. Those times, like sun up, sundown is not the time to be driving around looking for a new spot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. you know, it's probably not the time to sit down and have dinner. It's not time nah. to sit down and have a coffee. It's, it's the time to literally be you know throwing and going yeah high. i agree with you i agree and and I, when we fish we go right we've done our research or whatever last light's coming in we'll fish this area and then at like say this is a night session i'm talking a night and a morning session and then you do your traveling during the night like once you've had that late session and then you get to where you want to fish for the surface session so we usually camp on the lake and we want mm-hmm. to fish a surface in the morning well, we'll do our traveling at the end of the night session or even earlier fish there on last light then camp and then when you're up in the morning you like you just said you're fishing for that prime two hours 
in a spot that you think's your best spot. Like that's not like you said, that's not when you drive around. And it's not <laughs> even yeah, it's not when you muck around. Like we eat dinner at three o'clock or four o'clock yeah. for a winter session. We don't eat dinner yeah. in the dark because you're just wasting time. So you're hundred percent you gotta commit on the trip. Yeah, and it's just not easy. You know, like it's 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 simple, but it's not easy. Yes. It's, or it yeah. can be simple. Yeah, that's say. right. It's, it can sound simple, but it's definitely not easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's not. It's a different... And do you think people have to have a different mindset too? It's like an active day, you know, chasing smaller fish in the summer on a river or going to Windermere and chasing yellows in the day. It's not the same mentality oh, at all. Yeah, and I, like, and I remember growing up, like that was the that was the thing is that when you go out for a, a session, wherever it was, is that oh, I got six fish today or I got nine fish today or whatever it was. doesn't matter. But... It, it it's a big adjustment to say, you know, I got nothing again. I got nothing again. I got nothing mm. again. Or I got one, but it was a meter twenty. You know, it's, yeah, that's a big adjustment. But now, going thinking about it now, I actually think it's easier because if you're fishing for active fish or you're fishing for numbers and you haven't caught a fish by, you know, day two, it's like, holy crap, you know, these fish are not active. This is oh, this, yeah. is, this trip's even, a write off. Even on the afternoon of day one, if it's an active yeah, trip, that's yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. When now in winter or you're fishing for a big fish, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like literally until you've had your last cast, it doesn't matter. Like yeah, you yeah. need one cast. Yeah. So do you go in with the mentality on a winter trip? Um, and I've asked this question to a few people and I get very different answers. There's only really two answers. Do you go in with the, I'm going to work my ass off, but I don't expect to catch anything? Or do you go in with the mentality in these three days, we're going to catch something? What mentality do you have? Oh, always catch something. Yeah. Okay. A lot of, t- a lot of time we will go home with our tail between our legs after the, after the three days. But if you think you're not going to go catch something before the trip started, we'll don't even go. There's no yeah, point. yeah, yeah. You know, and I like it's just, yeah. You've got to have the mentality to catch something. But you know, you're thinking like you said. You said about winter fishing. Like, I reckon last year. So probably I'm trying to think now how many years ago. But a few years ago, I sort of committed to like pretty much put down the the smaller lures even in summer and just throw the big lures all all the whole time. Yeah. And even in the rivers, even if it wasn't ideal, just persist with it. You get snagged and it's not right. Who cares? And I think probably a couple of years ago when I first did that, I probably caught the least amount of fish ever for a mm-hmm. whole season. Uh, probably not, not probably not the most amount of, of, of quality fish either, but there's certainly the quality was there. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's certainly just a, a mentality thing. But yeah, like I said, I think it's just so much easier to go, all right, I'm just trying to fish for one bite. Yes, and, and that's and that's it. You know, and, and don't worry about. The and limits. how do you feel? Explain the feeling when you get that one bite and you miss it on the end of day three. <laughs> have you had that feeling? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have it all the time. Yeah, I think the, the thing which I probably need to tell myself this a bit is that you know so often you get in this mindset, or we get in a mindset of, of especially winter. If a fish, if the bite is not great, you, you sort of think, okay. If I grind it out and I, and I sort of fish well, I, I think I can get at least a bite a day. Yeah. And when you get that bite and then you don't you don't convert it, you sometimes can get sort of trapped into thinking I just blew my chance. And that's yes. It. And that's <laughs> yes. that's that's for suckers because like so often you know you'll miss a bite and then like ten minutes later you'll bang another one. Like yeah, there's been tons of times where it's like, and it's actually in, in the video when Oliver comes down. The, the one of the the trips towards the end is that we we went and fished the whole day before and I think we caught one fish between four of us or you know one about eighty and the rest were just 
couple of little rats. Yeah. And that was super tough. Got up the next morning and we we uh, knocked over three over a meter in a morning. Like things yeah. just change super, super quick. And you hear about from guys all the time is that, you know, they go out and it's, it's super dead quiet and then they, they clean up in, you know, one afternoon. But just a quick little, very quick little story. And this is probably my favorite story. I wasn't yeah. even there for it. But um, Josh and um, Crowy, who is one of the other boys that we fish with a fair bit, a few years ago when um, my whaler was sort of getting drained, and I don't know if anyone else has got this record, and I hope Crowy doesn't mind me talking about this, but it's um, he, he caught two meteries in two casts. You're joking. No. So literally caught, caught the first one. Straight enough, easy enough. Wound it in. Josh hadn't even made another cast. Fires out another cast, cracks another one, very next cast. Um, and like, I, I, I can't remember exactly, but I've got a feeling that was sort of midday and the boys hadn't had a hit or hadn't had a fish all morning. You're joking. Like, that's, that's how quickly it can change. Like, yeah. it's, just, it's wild. Two in two casts. And the yeah, same fellow, be, got, he, he got both, both of he them. He got both, yeah. Isn't yeah, that insane? And, and they were different fish. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to have a pretty dumb fish, but yeah, that's, it's crazy, isn't it? And, and you're right; it only takes one cast. It just depends which one that is. And and like you said before about um, you can grind it out and get one hit for the day. It's usually that's usually a very common thing for a session at blaring in winter. And of yeah. that many times, you've missed one. And that whole time you had, you're like, that was that was our chance. And you keep going hard. Like, you think that's it. And then <laughs> at the end of the session, you turn to your mate, you go, I told you that was the chance. You sort of should have stuck it. But, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it hurts. Are you are you someone, if you miss if you miss that chance, as I said, at the end of day three, you get the hit, are you someone that just goes silent and doesn't want to talk to anyone? Or are you someone who absolutely loses it? Because I find there's two different types of people. And because oh, I'm know. somewhere in between. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> somewhere in between. I certainly. Um. I don't, yeah. Don't go quiet. But it's yeah. It certainly never. I, yeah. It doesn't feel good. But certainly don't go crazy and start yeah. throwing rods and stuff. Lose it. Yeah. I got. Yeah. I got. I know. Talus. If Talus gets hit, he's just like, "Don't talk to me." He's like, "Don't talk to me." I just want to forget about it. And it's funny. Everyone's different. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's a it's a painful thing. But do you reckon it makes you more eager than having a fishless trip? If you get a hit and you miss a big fish, do you feel that so much more eager to go again? Oh yeah. Like if if yeah, if we go and miss miss a big one, especially when you know it's a big one, like a hit. You know, if it's just a tap tap. That's a bit different, you know. Yeah, you've yeah. got weight, and then you drop it. Like I think that usually that lights the fire more so. You know, you just, you know, next weekend you weren't going to come fishing, and all of a sudden you're trying to clear your schedule and just be like, we got to go again. Yes, got to get, get a bit of redemption. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. That, that's that's what I reckon too. It's, and it's, it's funny, a, you know, it's it's funny you said it like about your your mate. Um, was it Jack? What's that with? Who, who's missed a heap of one twenties oh, out of Mitch? Yeah, Mitch. Mitch. Sorry, Mitch. Yeah. Is that like? We've seen it. I've seen it across so many guys that we fish with, and to so many guys I know, is that that first meter fish is the hardest fish meter fish you'll ever catch in your life. Yes, like, literally, like guys we know who have had like they have bust offs, bust offs. They have hits. They have fish caught behind them. They go on trips where like they're the only guy who doesn't catch one. Like, yep. and then they catch the first one, and, and then they catch it. like five five in the next month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. When Talos got his first one, he got like six in like a season, or the se- yeah. he got one, and then the season after, because it was the end of the season, he cracked like another six. Like he just yeah. was on fire. Like it's you're right. It's funny. You just got to get that monkey off the back, eh? Yeah, it's weird. 
Very yeah. Weird. So with the big lures you were talking about, you know, you're talking about throwing lures like big, big lures. And one thing I was going to say is I remember you talking about how you're talking about the small lures on the tackle shop wall and the big ones. I remember yeah. I had every size in the AC in my bedroom as a kid because I was like, these things are so cool and they're so expensive. I don't want to lose them. <laughs> and I had four cod. I had the 50 mil, 70 mil, 90 mil, all the way. I had a 50 mil AC Invader for cod and yellows. Yeah. And yeah. it was a, not a bad lure. And the 120 and the 150, I never used. They were just stupidly big. It was like, mm-hmm. in my head, a 150 mil when I was a kid, I remember it, was massive. And you'd show just family members who know nothing about fishing going, what the, what is that for? <laughs> like, what yeah. do you even use that for? And now, a 150 mil AC is small, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, the same thing. You know, we used to throw T, like, when things were quiet, we would throw a TN60 for yeah. cod. And it's like... And I remember guys catching 90, 95 centimetre fish on them. Yeah. And it's like now I, I pick that lure up because like we're still at tons of them and we use them for yellows and whatever. And you just like, if I look at these hooks much harder, they're going to melt. Like, yes. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. Even now, like especially I think the, the, the penny drop moment is when you see a big fish with whatever lure in its mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as you see a 150 mil lure in that mouth, you're like... I could throw a 450 mil lure and it would still make still that much more. Like, yep. It'll eat. It'll eat. The, the biggest thing is not what they'll eat. The biggest thing is the capacity of your back because yeah. uh, most people's back, including mine, is is uh, about seven or eight ounces and that's uh, about me maxed yeah. out for, for, for a long period of time. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, yeah, I reckon, and I reckon there's a big difference once they get over that meter mark. Like a meter fish on the money actually has quite a small mouth compared to like a 110, 120. But those 120s that, yeah, you look at a 200 mil lure in the mouth and you're like, yeah, we could be throwing 500 mil lures like yeah. easy. Like that fish would easily eat something bigger. This is dead set like a little snack. And you think about that in its belly, like a 200 mil swim bait or a plastic, it's really like a pea like it's it's yeah. something but it's 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 not it's not big at all so with with your what are your big go-to lures like you're um, talking about those surface lures the swim baits the plastics do you have some that you kind of lean towards yeah like i think like, as a fisherman obviously everyone has has a uh, some favorites or some go-tos like we, we got a fishing room at josh's that's just piled up with that much stuff like from you know we've still got all our lures from when we were younger and like you know at one point we had like every single colored Goldwyn lures, ninety mil codger that existed, which was like almost a hundred lures. Yeah, we had every nearly every one twenty mil, one fifty mil AC invader, like the boxes and boxes. Um, where now it's sort of changed a little bit with with um, with more casting, but yeah, as far as like specifics, I we, we sort of gravitate to a few different things, but as much as anything now, we're trying to catch them on different stuff or things we've never really used yeah. a whole lot of. I like you know, doing we'll that. It's catch good, a, eh? Yeah. Yeah, so try and catch them on like a big giant glide bait or you want to try and catch them on a jig or, you know, like I said, I'm massive on the, following the American stuff. So I tend to like go and watch a heap of their videos and what, what Oliver's doing on musky or big bass and think, okay, let's try that on the cod and usually have a lot of failures. But yeah. there's a couple of successes in there which, which are pretty cool. But uh, I guess... If I look at what not just what I use, but what the guys in our sort of crew use, and it tends to be a pretty uh, fairly consistent, I guess you know things that we use. And there's no like for most of it, there's no sort of affiliation. But one of the one of the ones I think again, no surprise to a lot of guys. Like I remember when the Jackal um, Ganterell first came out, and, mm-hmm. and Josh bought me one for Christmas one time, and it sat in the tackle box when they first came out for for ages. 
and then Josh picked it up uh, one trip and he caught it like an 85 on it I think like third cast and then that evening caught a meter 32 or something I think like Whoa. that uh, on it and we're just like holy hell it was on stock rings and stock hooks which for anyone who's fished them know that those split rings are terrible um, it didn't fight wow. very good which I think is why um, but it was one of those lures, and then when then the Gigantrail was released following that, like yeah, where you know it seems to be like some lures. I think is you put them on, and you just seem to get action. Yeah, you know you don't need to you don't need to flog the water to death to get a get a bite. Jackal Gigantrail and Jackal Ganarel, hundred percent have just got it factor for whatever for whatever reason. I'm not a massive sort of one for color. I, I just sort of put colors into like three different blocks and it's like dark white bright or dark yep. you know white bright natural natural sort of the yeah. four things um but those those things just get bit so like hard swim bait wise we, we sort of throw a gigant trail and again a rail a fair bit top water again on top water i'm sort of not um there's nothing sort of super specific um yep. our mate crowy now makes a lure called a happy frog which is like a wake bait and I guess a wake bait's probably my favourite. I'd rather fish a wake bait than a paddle yep. style, but Josh, Josh will usually fish a paddle. Um, so, like things like that, the mud eye wakes the mud eye water rattlesnake wake snake. No, the big one. No, the, the snake. bigger one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The snake yeah. Uh, caught tons of fish on that, like big fish. Um, yeah. Croaker lures, surface wake bait as well. But to be fair, I don't think it really matters that much. Is it yeah, if it's got no. a good plopping action for a, a uh, one with a bib and and it's got a nice wake and it casts nice and it doesn't get fouled up every four casts because yep. in the dark that's a massive thing is that if it's getting fouled the hooks are getting caught up and stuff every 10 casts it'll just do your head in yeah um so yeah really surface lures just those two different camps the hard bait pretty much yeah jackal gigantorel soft bait um we we bring in defiant which is a big sort of soft swim bait which has been big on the bass and uh in america yeah uh pretty expensive things but they've they've worked for us or they work for us so i think josh has cracked three fish over a meter 20 on them now and i've caught i think three or four uh maybe not three or four two or three over a meter plus a heap of other 90s and stuff um on them now they're a little bit different to a lot of other you know soft baits in the sense that they're a line through um yeah. Line through bait. They've got a jig hook and stuff on top. They come through timber insanely well. And I remember when um, Oliver told me about them because I fished them in, in the States. He's like, oh, these things will come through cover really good. And I'm like, okay, I've, I've heard this before from the American guys and I throw it over here and it just gets snagged every second cast. But these things just come through cover really good. And the hookup rate surprisingly is, is, is solid as well. That's good. Um, so that's on the soft bait front, but like I said, you know, we bring them in. So take what I say with a with a grain of salt. Um, they are expensive, of course, too. Um, but the other thing, I, I guess, while I'm on soft baits, quickly, and these things are all like topics that go for hours. But yeah. One one thing I always thought before I went over and to the states and really sort of talked to these guys is that I sort of put things like a like a hard bait, for instance into its own category and just thought, okay, a giganterel, that's that's the hard bait and that's it. Yeah. And then a soft bait, like if it's made of rubber and it's a soft plastic, well, then that's a whole category. Yep. And they've sort of 
explained to me is that it's like hell no like they're a soft swim bait there is like you know tons and tons and tons of variation not just in size but like the whether it's like a boot tail um like a like a mad draft which has been you know smashing tons of big fish and throws off yep. a heap of action or whether it's like a wedge tail and a defiance like a wedge tail mm-hmm. huddleston is a is a wedge tail as well yeah and it's just a lot more subtle and these sorts of things is which which i sort of just never really sort of focused on i thought okay they both have a tail beat they're going to be similar and they think that they're you know super different i guess as far as when you throw which one you know you throw something when the fish are super active with a really wide action yeah and then something with a real subtle action when they're a bit more timid yeah because one of the other things i picked up and i know i'm going off topic here sorry no no go for it it. um, is that when Oliver came over, I was telling him about how some of these dams and Copeton was, was one that stood out. And whilst I haven't fished Copeton, a lot of the boys have and uh, a lot of the guys we know fish it a fair bit. And they had a period there, I think it might have been about five or six years ago, where guys were just like smashing them on top water. Yes. Like that was just what everyone yeah, yeah. was throwing. That. They yeah. were cleaning them up. And then, and then it just went dead. Couldn't catch them on top water, or it was very hard to catch them on top water. Yeah, Mulwala had a similar thing where that just went ballistic on top water, and then it went quiet for a couple of seasons. And mm-hmm. um, I was talking to Oliver about that, and his thoughts were he's he's sort of saying to me, he's like, we used to have a similar thing in Southern California where you could catch them on big glide baits, big hard baits, but he said he's a big believer that the fish are not as stupid as what everyone thinks they are. Mm. And they have longer mem- memories than what everyone thinks they do. Oh, yeah, and 100%. He said to a point now where he's like, you will not catch a 10-pound bass in Southern California on anything other than like maybe a worm, like as in like a big soft worm, yep. a jig, or a soft bait, big soft swim bait, because they know what a crankbait is. They know what a like a hard swim bait is, um, and they just won't get tricked by it anymore. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to cod, but it's just very interesting to see there's been a few examples of that now just with top water where the fish just literally switch off a certain type of lure. Yes. And I don't know, like unless there's some other factors in there that like they were eating mice or something else that were on the, on the top at that time. But it just I seems reckon strange. You're spot on. That, I reckon you're spot on yeah. for Copeton anyway because everyone was throwing the similar kind of lure too. So it was the noise that the surface lure gave off. And yeah. it was fishing. It fished insane even before everyone knew about it up there with surface. Yeah, yeah, and, true, true. And then and now it's very it's it, it's a lot tougher. So you got to be it, it's got to be the fact that the fish hone into that sound, you know. And and you think about it, if if half or even three quarters, say half of those fish were caught on surface, which is probably not true, but say it was, mm. then you you've got if you go up there surface fishing, you've only got half the population that will eat the lure. You know what I mean? If they're even hungry, and that's where the whole it doesn't fish as well comes from. I reckon. Oh, I think. And like, like yeah, you yeah, said, look, yeah. I, I don't know either, but like it'll be interesting as well. Like the last couple of years, you know, chatterbaits or mumblers or whatever you want to call them have been massive in the dams at night, you know, and that's sort of been a relatively newish thing, you know, yeah. guys weren't doing it 10 years ago. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if that changes. Well, it has and, a very unique action, like, doesn't it? It has yeah. a very, very distinguished action the fish will pick up on. Like, it's, yeah, they won't they won't get it wrong, you know what I mean? They won't mix it for something else. Yeah, um, that, that's right. And I think, you know, tying it back to the live scope, I think that's, the, those boys would be the ones to ask, those who are using live scope and, you know, to see over time, you know, even with things like, you know, 
jackal gigantrails and the hard lures or crankbaits and things, whether they start to switch off certain lures over yes. time. Like you know, that's just the you know the fish behavior part or aspect of things where you know without that technology you just don't see it. So yeah, you just exactly. Don't catch a fish, you know. And I've got a, I've got another. It's the same thing with blaring. Blaring back in 2016, you could not put a foot wrong with the plastic. You could not yeah. put a foot wrong. Every single yeah. morning session, a two-hour morning session, we would get at least a hit, up to five hits in blaring, and that's blaring. Yeah. And that that's was with soft plastics when they when you struggled to find a soft plastic on the shelf. The biggest one we could find yeah. was a squidgy slick rig. It was 140 mil, and we got okay. two meteries on that in three weekends. And yep. I managed to get my hands on one that was like 180 mil. And first trip, we were cracking big fish. And now, you, <laughs> they still work, but you got to yeah. put in a lot more cast. So, I, I reckon, yeah, I reckon it is the fact that they switch on to certain lures, like you said. So, yeah, it's yeah, interesting it's... also thinking about those tail difference that can make the difference, you know, with the soft plastics, like you said. Yeah, and look, I haven't seen any evidence of it of it on our on our cod yet. Yeah, um, or not that not, not that I can pick up. But I just sort of think that it, it's probably stupid to to see something that's happened in the states when they've been doing it for a long, long time, and then sort of disregard it. So I sort of try and take everything on board, you know, regardless of you know who says it or or what's said. It's like if someone's got a theory. It's, uh, it's always worth thinking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mate, we've covered heaps of awesome stuff. I don't even know where the time went. Like, I, I can't believe how quick the time's gone. And I had a few more questions for you. One one that I wanted to ask was if if the fishing was as good as it ever gets in that particular waterway at every waterway all happening at once and you didn't have to drive for 10 hours to get wherever you were going, I'm talking fresh water, do you have a spot that you would fish that would be your go-to river or dam? It's fishing as good as it ever does. Is there a place you would be at the top of that uh, list to fish? Like to be, to be fair, probably not, not really. There's not like, there's nothing that sort of stands out above all else, but I sort of, my my own sort of I guess goal or whatever you want to call it is to try. I, I really I don't even care if I catch it. To be fair, I just want to see a meter forty to a meter fifty or or a meter forty plus call it on the mat. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of lot, seen a lot of photos of a lot of really big fish, um, but one I want to see one that's a meter forty. What's the biggest you've seen? Want, uh, would be Josh's. And that was, yeah, meter thirty two or I think thereabouts, yeah. and it, yeah. was, it had it had condition as well, which is a big. A big factor. I'd I'd much rather a meter forty out of uh, a big fat meter forty than a real skinny one, but I'll take anyone. <laughs> um, but the biggest thing is I just want to see one of my own eyes on a mat because yeah. it seems to be that like, and not that I'm I'm saying that uh, they don't exist or guys haven't caught them. I just want to see one um, with my Yourself. own eyes and on and on a mat. And there's probably there's probably you know, at my guess, and I could be very wrong, but for the fisheries that I fish, it's probably only going to be Blowering, Eildon, or the Murray River that's probably got got that mm, sort of Burrenjuk, I reckon. Burrenjuk's been yeah. around a long time too, so it could be yeah. in there too. But Blowering for sure, and the Murray River by far. Yeah, um, Burrenjuk and those ones north, I, I just I don't get enough time to to, yeah. to fish them all. But uh, I'm sure that, I'm sure there's probably big one, yeah. big bangers in Wyangler and Copeton and stuff too. So. Yeah, yeah, true. But then, yeah, that you just, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to know. But the, I've fallen, I've fallen four centimeters short of seeing one bigger. I've seen a meter thirty six, and it was a special fish. But was that the one Talis got? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a banger. That was so big, and he was little yeah. then too. He was only fifteen, <laughs> I think. 
when he caught that. Yeah, okay. 16, so, yeah. He's that'll, a... take, that'll take him some, some doing to beat, I think. Yeah, well, he caught it because it was his second winter. It was his second metre caught. I'm going to say okay. it was. He got two metres in the one session and he wow. caught it. We were in two hours in the session. And he goes, it just doesn't seem fair. He's like, it's not really fair. Like, at least he admitted it. And I'm like, don't worry, <laughs> mate. Don't worry. You'll do the hours over the next five years. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, I was like, going to say. Yeah, you'll, you'll wear it in. You'll do the hours and then it'll be worth yeah. it. But he's like, oh, it's not fair. He's like, he's like, it's kind of, it's not fair. I'm like, yeah, it's you, you worked for it. You caught it. That's good. And then he's like... Well, I'll just throw surface now, like just for something different. And then once you get a 101 on the surface, he's like, man, I'm going to use up all my luck in one session. Yeah. Grab the fly uh, rod. Grab the fly rod. Yeah. <laughs> I know. If only we had it, he, he should have. And yeah, I couldn't I couldn't catch a break on that trip. Just couldn't. But he just was all over it. But yeah, they're, they're big and they're out there, like you said, but you, it, you want to see them with your own eyes. So yeah, no, that, yeah. that's that's fair enough. Does, before we finish up, is there, I know you've told a couple of stories already, but do you have a memorable catch that you is your like that was my best catch or my best experience or seeing someone else catch a fish or do you, your first metery is there one in particular that stands out for you um like there's probably a couple but like i think as as you know you you sort of catch a few and, and i'm certainly not saying that we've caught tons and tons of, of monster fish um there's so many guys out there that make the amount of meteries we've caught um laughable but there's, there's sort of a couple of um, enjoyable ones and Actually, the the probably the one that stood out the most was not the one that that I caught, but like being there for Josh's meter thirty two was was pretty cool. Um, just to catch it with him, uh, to take Oliver or to bring Oliver from the other side of the world and get him a meter twenty one on Jesus his big. Um, surface on his surface lure as well. And you can go and watch the video. The video is all there. It's all cast to catch. Yeah, um, I saw that one. That's which a big fish. Is, is is pretty loose. Um, and then I guess again it's the same trip, which which. Uh, luckily, it was just on video. Is the, um, uh, the there was there's one where he's throwing a surface lure and the the fish follows it right beside the boat and, and there's a heap of glare on the water. I don't have sunglasses on. Is that the Can't plastic? See. The big swim. Yeah, that's, that's the yeah. that's the defiant. Yeah, and wow. literally just pitch it in and he just smokes it next to the boat. Um, that was. They're good. the ones that probably stand out. Um, was that a meter something? Me, uh, meter fifteen or fourteen or something. Jeez, I that's think, a big from, river from fish. Memory. Um, but then, you know, there's, I think every one of them, you know, every time you catch a good fish is, is sort of, you never forget it. Like yeah. even my, my first, my first meter fish was when I was like six to 15, I think it was. And I was trolling like a, a just a big stump jumper on like, I don't know, spider wire braid, no leader <laughs> yeah. and, and hook, hook this massive cod through the, the top of the head in the meat of the head. Um, you know, every, every single meter fish is, is cool. Special. Um, yeah. But yeah, getting them on getting them on video, and I think having GoPros and stuff now, even if you don't want to publish it, and you know, I don't really it for put out much. Yeah, yeah, we don't put out that much um, video content. That, but um, yeah, seeing it, seeing it for yourself, or being able to watch it back is is pretty cool. Special, eh? And then you go, yeah. I don't even remember it happening like that. Like to me, it happened in your memory. Uh, this is what happens to me. I'm like. Oh, okay, like I paused it for longer than I thought. Like, because the mate goes, Oh, what did you hit it on? Or how'd you get it? I'm like, Yeah, I got it like this. And then you watch the video, like, actually, that was totally wrong. Like, it's, yeah, it's crazy the things you can really see. Really good for that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's never like you think, Oh, I was just straight winding it or just slow rolling. Yeah, and you've You actually, you never really slow roll it. You, you usually find that you'll stop it accidentally or you'll bend down and stop and look at something or, yep. you know, whatever it is. And 
that's when you get the bite. Yeah, 100%. Now, mate, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time tonight. And I hope people who are listening to this um, have gained something from it. We kind of just talked about a whole heap of different stuff, but there was a lot of <laughs> a lot of interesting topics in there. Thanks, Ace, for your time. And uh, yeah, hopefully, because we've recorded this in the middle of lockdown, so you're stuck for a little bit. But it's it's been a wild few months, hasn't it? It has. Um, like you said, you know, thanks for thanks for having me on. I feel like we just uh, rambled and... And just I feel like we haven't even started. Of, we could just keep going. Yeah, a bit of just standard fishing fishing talk where you, you talk a hell of a lot about nothing or what it seems like a lot of the time or throwing yeah. the theories around. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's been a pretty crazy uh, few months for everyone. Unfortunately, I'm in uh, in Melbourne and locked down for another six weeks. I think we're only I'm only three days into it, so uh, yeah. it's going to be a pretty long five and a half weeks. Watch everyone else catch them. <laughs> in the prime prime uh, part of the year but it's all good we it's might, all good. Have to, might have to do a weekly podcast with you just to keep you um feeling connected to it we can smash <laughs> out you got you're not out fishing so yeah that's crazy though um but yeah i guess you just have to watch on watch your brother yeah, get him yeah yeah that's uh that's always hard but anyway he'll uh he'll only jab me a little bit every now and again about that <laughs> yeah yeah no nah, but um yeah thanks heaps once again um hopefully i'll or maybe in the future I'll, I'll have a chat to you and we'll talk about a specific topic maybe there's plenty of things we could talk about but um no that went that went really really good so hope everyone enjoyed it and cal thanks heaps for joining me mate no worries good luck when you do get good luck when you do <laughs> finally get out for a fish you'll be able to chase thanks, yellows mate. i'll need the luck thanks yeah. cheers cal And there you have that episode, guys. It was a cracker with Cal, and I really enjoyed just sitting down and having a chat with him. The the episode really just took its own path, and we covered some really cool topics, which I hope you enjoy. And I know a lot of you guys listen to this podcast while you're at work, while you're driving, while you're doing a lot of different things, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was a bit of entertainment for you and that you picked up some things that you can apply to your style of fishing when you head out next. Obviously, guys, we want to hear from you, so if you have any listener questions that you would like us to answer, in this podcast, Talis and I sit down and answer listener questions every four or five episodes. Uh, and if you have any questions, you can send through your listener questions. To do that, all you have to do is create a free account on the Social Fishing website. So jump on socialfishing.com.au, create a free account, and send in your listener questions. Also, leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy this episode or the entire podcast we want to hear from you leave a star review if you enjoy it or even if you don't we want to hear from you guys we want your comments and your feedback and also if you have anyone in particular that you would like us to interview make sure you send them through and the best way to do that is through that listener questions portal so go in there and if you have any particular people that you follow or you know about that we haven't interviewed yet please send them through and we will try to get in contact with them and tee up a time to do an episode with them. Most people are really keen to sit down and have a chat and share and that's really what I love about fishing is it is very open and people are happy to share their results, their tips, their techniques, uh, which is really good. So if you have any ideas for any people in particular, please send them through. Now, just before we finish up, I want to mention again our awesome sponsor for this episode, Ignite Lures Australia. They have the 160mm Fury now available. It is an incredible size, soft plastic for both saltwater applications and freshwater. Go check them out 
on store.socialfishing.com.au. That is the Social Fishing store. You can check out the full color range there. You can also see what I was talking about in terms of the internal weight, the, the treble hook, and how that line-through system works. It is available on the Social Fishing store along with the 220ml Cod Fury. Thanks, guys, and I hope you enjoyed another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast, episode 41. We will be back in a couple of weeks' time with another episode. So in the meantime, guys, get out there and enjoy the rest of cod season. I'll be talking to you at the start of spring uh, with a golden perch episode. I'm interviewing a very, very keen angler who shares plenty of content on spring golden perch. So I'll see you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Social Fishing Podcast.